Welcome to Invalid Culture, a podcast dedicated to excavating the strangest, most baffling, and worst representations of disability in popular culture. Unlike other podcasts that review films you've probably heard of, Invalid Culture is all about looking into the abyss of pop culture adjacent representations that just never quite broke through because, well, they're awful. I'm your co-host, Erica. And I am your other co-host, Jeff. And in light of the holiday season, and as proud soldiers in the war against Christmas, this month's episode is going to be a little different. Today, we are joined by a real-life Paralympic athlete turned disabled actor who starred as the wheelchair-using vet Mike in a recent Hallmark film, Swept Up by Christmas. That's right, we are joined by Burgoyne's most famous son, all-round Bruce County Beefcake, Josh Cassidy. Josh, welcome <laughs> as our first ever guest ever Thank on this you. show. You're it. It's an honor. Number yeah. one. That's what I strive to be. Number one in my heart. <laughs> so Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit, like, who are you? Why should people care about Josh Cassidy? Um, oh my gosh, I don't know why they should. So what I've got so far is small town, perhaps, actor, Paralympic athlete, and long-term or, or long-term childhood friend of Jeff Preston. And I understand there's a little bit of a story about how you and Jeff first met. So would you care to share a little bit more about that? Sure, yeah. We met probably, I think it must have been 10, nine or 10 years old. Um, my dad was in the military. So we had moved all across Canada nine times in the first or eight times in the first nine years of my life. And then we left the military. We settled in Bruce County, um, going to school, elementary school in Port Elgin. Um, Jeff's dad, who is a police officer, um, came and, and spoke to the school. And, uh, and after the presentation was done, uh, and you know, we go back to our classrooms and there was a knock on the door and he was at the door and he asked if, uh, the teacher, if if I could come out and talk to me, <laughs> so, as a nine year old, curious, slightly scared, did I do something wrong? I'm sure entered my mind at some point, but uh, but uh, just that is just the most uh, chill, soft spoken uh, guy, and uh, was just uh, just super kind to knowing I was just, you know new to the area and uh, and asked if. Uh, I wanted to to meet a son who who happened to use a wheelchair as well, and uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's how our first I don't know playdate or whatever you would call it at that age. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what we did the first time. Now that I think about it, but I mean, our early childhood was a lot of mini sticks and video games and video games and and reading and yeah, Star Wars and adventures in the uh, in in the what would you call it the, there was a name for the the woods behind the town beaners beaners forest yeah so anyways yeah. lots of lots of awesome childhood memories i think it's important to note that you said that our our early childhood consisted of those things uh, I also think changed. our teenager years <laughs> and our yeah. adult years, yeah. it, it didn't no. actually change. We never grew up. <laughs> it, uh, it happened until we both left the town. We just yeah. lost the town and each other. That was all. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But as I said, you know, there's always that open. The invite is always open. If you want to come over for a sleepover, uh, we can hey. get back out on the road and, and play some hockey again. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> so how did you end up from small town bruce is it bruce county yeah oh yeah to like the big screen the olympic stage um so i i always loved uh sports as a kid and as i just mentioned you know hockey was a big passion of mine and as it was just growing up um and one of the challenges in school uh was being able to partake in extracurricular sports and um, always found a way to figure out how to adapt and and um, the schools, especially in, in that area, Port Elgin and Owen Sound, where I grew up at that stage, there was really great teachers that 
that uh, that helped navigate through. Um, but extracurricular, there was more bumps as health and safety had a lot more restrictions and concerns about other kids getting injured if they knock into your chair or whatnot. So wheelchair racing was something that was uh, introduced to me as a possibility for, for track and field in high school. And um, around the same time as the Sydney Paralympic Games, uh, watched our Canadian Jeff Adams uh, power away to, to medals and I just was super intrigued by it and thought it looked fun. And so that's how I got started. Ironically, in our hometown, um, I had a chance meeting with the Paralympic coach that was there on business and he kind of got me connected as well. And that sort of was the, the beginning of my journey from this small town. And, uh, and I mean, in the small town too, I mean, I had the local track club that was, was great, but so much of my training throughout most of my career was on my own. And, uh, and uh, yeah, eventually I went to um, Sheridan college for illustration and uh, continued training there and made my first national team. And uh, yeah, the journey continued. <laughs> and then, uh, so how long have you been, um, I guess, doing elite athletics? Um, I, so I've started competing around 2000, so 21 years. And uh, my first national team uh, was 2005, uh, I believe it was, 2005-06. So, um, so, yeah, quite a while now. <laughs> and how long have you been uh, into acting? Well, the first television commercial stuff that I did was mostly as an athlete, as myself or as a wheelchair racer. Uh, so that's kind of how I first got some some commercial gigs, and um, and then that kind of progressed to just taking some casting calls for other commercials, which well, there was a BMO one and uh, Suicide Squad, and uh, which I was an extra in, and both of those was also some kind of a little bit of consulting on the disability aspect and. Um, and then, yeah, this, this swept up by Christmas. I think they saw, I think, I think the agency saw an audition I did for another show where I actually played someone pretty much the opposite of my character and swept up by Christmas. He was a pretty like chip on his shoulder, angry, I think war vet as well, but, um, much different, but anyways, uh, had an audition and, um, and it was really after the fact for most of these that, oh, you're an athlete as well. And that came about. So yeah, it's fun. Now I noticed that you said you were in suicide squad. Mm -hmm. How did that come together? What was your role? And mm -hmm. would the movie have been better if you were the main character and not Jared Leto? <laughs> um, first of all, how did it come about? Um, oh, well, my mind is on Jared Leto right now. I yeah, think who he is. Yeah, <laughs> you speak for all of us when you say. <laughs> I was thinking, like, honestly, everything I have seen him in, he is fantastic. I uh, have the understanding that there is a way more that was shot, that was cut. Um, obviously, that doesn't change the take on the character, which wasn't totally his. Um, but uh, it would be interesting to get a full take of what it was. So... I mean, it was crazy. I, I always, obviously, I've been into comic books. I mentioned uh, I went to school at Sheridan for illustration, and that was really um, derived from a very early love of, of superheroes, comic books, and, and drawing ever since I was a little kid. And so, obviously, superhero movies and wanting to take a shot at acting at some point, it was always something just I thought that would be fun. And I, I guess I put it out into the universe, and I got this random call the day before flying back from Australia, from a training camp. And it was someone who had recommended me, gave me my number for a production that was going on in Toronto for a Warner Brothers movie that sounded like a superhero movie, all like tight-lipped, whatever. And of course, I'm a comic book fan nerd. So like, I know everything that's going on in shooting. I'm like, oh my God, I've heard these rumors about Suicide Squad. Like, this has got to be what it is. So I had some conversations because they're looking for um, amputees, contortionists. They wouldn't give much info beyond that. And would I be would I be interested in having some discussions? So when I got back, um, yeah, had had a meetings and, and um, 
went on set and they were they were rehearsing at, at that point. Um, and by then, like I had figured it out and they kind of knew that I had figured it out, but they really weren't allowed to say either. But Will Smith was training in the next room for his dead shot, you know, roles and, and um, <laughs> you know, this went into the room where Margot Ro Robbie um, does her, uh, or the very first opening scene where she's like in a cage tension area, right, as, as Harley Quinn. Um, so seeing that setup go and um, man, just the scale of this thing is like these big productions. That was just eye-opening for me. So, um, so the character was to be, well, it was going to be what eventually to me was probably the worst part of the movie, which was these <laughs> sort of zombified, um, uh, I don't, I don't even remember. They're like, yeah, zombified kind of super soldiers, kind of these sort of black things that just like you could kill, chop an arm, a leg off, they'd keep fighting type of thing for me even though i'm in a wheelchair it was like we need some double leg amps people that can you know um that are athletic that could maybe do some stunt work um so for me i played goalie as jeff knows on my knees mm -hmm. in road hockey and so like my legs can bend all over so basically i'd strap my legs up as if they were ampu amputated um so the intention was for the shot was like I would have, I would be like basically blown apart and then keep on fighting kind of like from the ground. So then I also helped help with them kind of um, consulting, bringing some other athletes that I knew with uh, that, that were amputees and, and try to help recruit a, a team of these kind of soldiers that would be blown to bits, but then keep on fighting and uh, rehearsed for one or two big scenes and the one scene was shot during a national championships, which I was con contracted to do, which is, so I missed that one. And then the other scene was like a, literally on the last day of filming. And uh, it was an all night film shoot. It was a week before the Pan Am Games in Toronto. And um, yeah, again, just the scale was just incredible. It was like, it's, it's this, this massive lot. And, and it just really hit home when you watch a movie at the end, all of the credits that scroll and all of those people like those are all humans with faces and lives that play a huge role each and every single one to make this whole thing come together. And then when you're on such a big, you know, production, and you see all these faces and all this stuff that goes in and the organization and network. I mean, it's a, it's incredible. So anyways, long story short, my scene in the end, the ones that I rehearsed for, I didn't shoot the ones that I did were the sort of the scene. I think it's even in the trailer where Will Smith's on this car, all these like zombie super soldier, black Uzi things are coming at him. And, um, do you want me to tell you the story of what I shot? Uh, did, 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 did Will Smith kill you? So unfortunately, Will Smith was shooting on that same day because they were doing all like these last minute reshoots. So it was a stunt actor that did the mm. this shot me. So you were but killed it, by the, the symbolic Will Smith. Yes, the fake one. They like recreated, you know, this this street and everything is like on fire. And like, you know, they recreated like the part of the gardener that was like, crashed and, and down on this lot and basically they're all just rushing towards this car that will smith is on to attack them and it's basically like a football you know charge rush the quarterback scenario but for me it's like my legs are blown off so i'm not in that first part i'm like after he starts unleashing and they're like okay so what we're doing here is they're all going to be rushing. We need you to hide under this car. Okay. Now they're going to be rushing. I want you to look at me. We're going to count down the steamboats, one steamboat, two steamboat. They're going to rush and then you crawl, but you don't go earlier than that because they'll just run right through you. And they're like all parkouring through cars and everything. Right. But don't be late because we're blowing up this car that you're under. So like you want to <laughs> get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like crawling, like, and this is like a week before the Pan American games and my national team would have killed me if they knew I was like nervous myself. What did, oh shit, what did I do? And yeah, you're like crawling over broken glass and there's fire and explosions going on. And anyways, um, they sort of like kills everyone. And I'm like one of the last ones and I go back to shoot him again. And there's a sort of 300 scene that's filmed from the stop where there's just like all these dead soldiers. And I like go to try and pop one more and I'm in and he shoots me. Um, but anyways, so much of that film was cut. I don't like, I could point out myself if I saw it. It's a blank of an eye. 
Um, so much of that film, from what I understand, like David Ayer has done so many grounded movies like End of Watch and Fury. And uh, so the take that it went, you can tell where the studio went in and was like, oh, I think zombie soldiers and, um, you know, the Enchantress character. And I don't know whose was whose idea, but there was just a disconnect from such a grounded thing that was happening in something else. But Anyway, yeah. that's my Suicide Squad story. And and probably bad if you had died under that car uh, in real life, <laughs> yeah. we should say. Yeah. Uh, that's hey. good. That's good that you weren't late. The, the stories that these stunt actors just like casually tell was just like crazy. Yeah, the stuff. Oh, yeah. Hey, check out this one. This is where like I was driving this F1 car and like I had to like the car, like the wheel blows. So then I have to drive into this semi truck and it's like, this is a car accident where people get killed and it's like, this is their day job. Like nuts. Yeah. You're hitting some interesting themes that have come up in past episodes. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. We've talked a bit mm -hmm. about like stunting um, or like, like who, who's doing the, yeah, I guess who's doing the stunt work, but also uh, consulting. So the mm -hmm. first movie that the first very first episode that we that we did um, when we were researching a bit about the film, we found out that there was actually like a hired disability consultant. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, our more recent uh, Mac and me, um, we learned that the disabled actor who was hired for the, mm -hmm. the lead role, we learned through the audio commentary <laughs> that mm -hmm. he had consulted a lot on um on the film so was that um is that i'm just curious about yeah. your experience with consulting and what that was like yeah i think like all three it was like i was hired as an actor or stunt then those bigger ones that i mentioned but i mean all were extremely you know let us know what you know what do we need to do what's right what's wrong like you know what can we do to make things easier help so they were all very receptive and you know took some initiative on some fronts to try and do things on another fronts we're like, oh yeah, we totally failed here. Please tell us what to do. Um, you know, so the the way I was approached, I really appreciated a lot. Um, and like the BMO commercial, that was one as well, where it was like weightless. And so there was some messaging there that kind of conflicted with me that I think they were pretty appreciative of because basically in the commercial, it's like this, you put in your wish. And so the commercial is like, my wife wishes that I can basically not be confined to my wheelchair, right? And it wasn't those words exactly, but it was very much that was the vibe. And it's like, listen, I don't wish that I wasn't in a wheelchair. I mean, it would be great and cool to walk and run and jump and do all these things, but like, this is who I am and it's brought me so many good things and I've accepted that. So it wouldn't be my wish. So if it was her wish, that would be kind of weird. Like, but it was more like, you know what I wish? I'm like, I actually wish I could fly. So why don't we change this messaging to just being like, I wish like that I can fly and my wife wishes to see me be able to like have the freedom of flight kind of thing. Um, so kind of, you know, the sentiment is kind of there, but it's a total different angle on the whole thing. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I got to say, when I first saw the BMO commercial, like at the start of it, uh, you know, from the music and, and you're up in the plane and, and I was like, Oh, hamburgers, like here we go. <laughs> right. Like this is going to be, that classic thing about like, oh, if only I had one wish, I wish he was cured. Yeah. Uh, but then you get this like actual nice inversion at the end uh, where it's like, yeah, no, the, the wish wasn't like liberation from the chair. Uh, mm -hmm. The wish was to do something wild. Uh, yeah. like it was, it was that it was everyone wild. would love to do. Right. Yeah. 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 Now I have a theory. You've been in a couple of BMO commercials. Uh, <laughs> and so I now call it the BMO verse. Uh, I'm pretty I sure it's called the BMO effect, isn't it? Isn't that the BMO effect? <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah, I, that's true. Uh, so I've noticed in the BMO verse, so you have a wife in the wishes, yeah, but you are definitely out with another woman during yes. a solar or a clip or a lunar. Eclipse. Jeff, here is the confusion, okay? Okay, it wasn't me in both of them. Um, I mean, it was me as an actor, but in the BMO verse, right. Yes. Me with my wife was one character. It was actually Mike from Swept Up by Christmas. That's in the background having a latte oh. with that other woman. So it's really Mike that's, I don't know in the BMO verse if that's before or after he met mm. um, uh, you okay. know, Swept Up by Christmas. Vanessa. Was Vanessa. I'm yeah. just trying to remember. You don't remember the love of your life? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Wait, so, are you saying you are not with Vanessa on the West Coast? Listen, right now? I don't know where the BMO verse version of Mike slipped into that dimension and stream. So I don't know if it was before or after Vanessa. So I can't comment. Mike might be a closet sleaze bag like oh yeah right. another latte yeah with yeah. another woman Let's go out with thing. the solar yeah. eclipse yeah, yeah. lose yeah. your sight but i'll take care of you baby yeah uh so two things here from me one and i don't know if this question is out of bounds but no are bimo and hallmark the same thing Mm-mm. oh but they have an overlapping oh. universe oh there is a question hmm. you know i'll say nothing says christmas like a bank I think we could all agree on that, <laughs> right? Now I'm just thinking sense. of the, you know, remember those, they have interact commercials now where you can like use your interact card the way that people used to drop coins into the charity tins. Yeah. Now they have interact commercials for that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all coming together, guys. I feel like, <laughs> I think this podcast is done. We've sorted it out. Wait, wait, wait. We don't know anything about the film yet. It's oh, time yeah, to get into Swept Up that. by Christmas. Right, right. Josh, please, can you tell us, for listeners who haven't seen the film, um, yeah. tell us a little bit about that film. Basically, a uh, Hallmark movie, Christmas movie. There's like a guy and a girl and like they, um, someone's not in the Christmas spirit, someone gets them in the Christmas spirit and then they live happily ever after right at the end. Oh, was I? And, was and I who are you? Sorry. And who are you? <laughs> and who are so, you in all this? This swept up by Christmas is basically um, she's an antique dealer, and the main character, lead male, is a war vet who has a cleaning business. They meet on the sale of this estate. And yes, it's about her bringing him back into the Christmas spirit. I am the main lead's uh, friend and business partner named Mike who is also a war vet and um yeah basically they have this little business that helps war vets adjust to civilian life and their cleaning uh their cleaning business is is their yeah is their little passion thing and and then there's a little side romance interest for mike in the movie the and this B-plot. is the aforementioned vanessa the aforementioned vanessa we say vrai <laughs> this is a bilingual podcast. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is now. Uh, so one thing that we love to do on this podcast is we love to see what others have to say about the film. And so we uh, went out. There were not a lot of reviews. I have to say, fans of the show, you are not doing your job. Uh, there were not a lot of reviews about this movie. But there was one really interesting thing that I learned. Actually, there were two interesting things. Thing number one, I learned there are a lot of people writing reviews of every single Hallmark Christmas movie. It is like a whole community. And that is <laughs> a thing that I didn't know I needed to know, but I know it now and I feel better. Um, but there were two reviews that really caught my eye. Uh, a lot of the reviews of this film um, felt that maybe the main romance was a little flat in nature. However, both on a website called Jamie's Two Cents and as well a website called Lifetime Uncorked. Two different reviewers said that they would have preferred if the story instead had been focused on Mike and Vanessa. An Amazon reviewer even went on to say, quote, I gave this an extra star, four out of five stars, to Hallmark for adding a storyline featuring someone in a physically challenging role. And yes, it's a formula movie, but I have to admit, I'm a fan of Hallmark's Christmas movies. Now, I'm assuming that was a typo and they meant physically challenged, uh, but I will allow you to respond to (laughs) Movie Guy on Amazon. Uh, Would you say your role was physically challenging? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, relative to the other work you described, yeah. it, it that sounded like very physically challenging work. You know what? It, it was long days. Uh, the physically challenged Suicide Squad was pretty physically challenging, and actually, the BMO was a stunt commercial as well. But you know yeah. what? It was a great. Uh, it was a really great experience, like learning wise for me, and uh, like lines and a whole role and the long days and weeks that all went into that and. The process and um 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, Mike is in a wheelchair. So uh, on the consulting side for this, I mean, they were more just, you know, you know, really open, like, what do you need kind of on set? Um, for the script itself, I had one or two kind of adjustments or amendments that I kind of put forward. I, I can't remember the first one. Um, the second one, I mean, there was definitely the one, I think it was when he's talking about his disability and how it crushed his, I think it was like C4 or something, right? Well, so mine, I'm partially paralyzed from L4 down, L3, L4. So I said, like, if this is integral to the story, like I would have to change my level of ability and what I can do to represent if that's important. If it's not important, we change the script so that this is where I was injured so that it's accurate. So, you know, had to go through Hallmark and their writers and their writers and their writers and all got approved. And of course, yeah, move ahead. And yeah. <laughs> and I got to say like that thing, that is something that is always, I found so strange about films is that it's like disability is like this throwaway and like they don't actually care if the, de if the definition of diagnosis is at all, even close, right. That they're just <laughs> like, I don't know, C1 maybe. Oh, it looks <laughs> like uh, muscular dystrophy. I don't know. And the other yeah. person is like fully walking around with like a little well, limb. Here's <laughs> the thing though. Here's the thing. To give, to be fair to them, if I'm thinking about these writers and they're churning these things out, it's like get the script written, throw something in, let them hire someone else to, to do, you know, let's let's check our disability accuracy facts here and, and consult someone that knows what's going on. Um, but yes, there isn't always those people in place to catch these types of things and uh, agreed. It's kind of thrown in at times. And uh, again, I was super grateful for, you know, this role and this opportunity. And of course, there has to be something that ties in. And for me, you know, okay, that's, that's the reality. And like the other auditions I've done, it's, you know, somehow their physical disability is, you know, a part of their character. I mean, it's, a part of everyone's life who has a disability. But at the same time, I mean, I'm not going off on some acting career crusade. I would love to, to do something with a lot more depth and whatever, but I'd also love to do something where it's like the disability part doesn't even come up too. You know, like I would just, I'd like to take the rocks role in some action movie and try and do a better acting job and like bring something that's great without actually having to, you know, delve too deeply at the same time. I know all stories of drama are about going through challenges and heartbreak and an emotional component. And most people who have a disability have gone through that at some stage. So, you know, that's a real part that people with a disability can connect with to portray that more realistically too. So I also appreciate that, you know, um, they're seeking out more often people with disabilities than trying to have an actor portray them. And again, on the flip side, cause I'm both like, I'm, I'm just like to bring full perspective. I don't think that there's anything totally immoral about someone who doesn't have a disability playing someone with a disability completely myself, you know, acting is role playing and diving into a character. And that might be someone of, you know, a different ability or, dis or a disability or like a, a, a gender or culture or whatever it is. However, with Hollywood and the way it is, it's just like, okay, we've had enough of white mainstream playing other cultures, you know, and disabilities and whatever. It's like, we have a huge demographic here that is not represented and it's time to kind of bring them into the fold. So at least, at yeah. least it feels like there's that progression. Yeah, I think I think honestly, Hallmark I think gets uh, a lot of kudos uh, for for this film and and uh, other films as well. I think Hallmark has actually kind of like latched onto disability in a way that I think others haven't. But having said that, Eric and I have <laughs> some right. questions. There's we oh, have some questions for you about this. We were going to go on. I thought you were going to go on the LGBTQ. How there isn't representation there. <laughs> Oh, that's oh, funny. Well, that, it's funny. Like, that's not I how I would have that. phrased that. <laughs> I wouldn't have phrased it that way. I was just going to say, like, this is the most remarkably, like, cis heteronormative story I have seen ever in my life. <laughs> and I, oh, yeah. I want to say, this was also my first ever Hallmark Christmas movie. Same. Okay. Same. Okay. <laughs> and, like, did, 
that just really stood out for me. <laughs> I, I hear it all the same. It was just funny. I am only aware of this because I was involved in one. So then I was reading all the headlines of backlash of like, there is no, like, there is no other kind of alternative storylines with representation. And, and so anyways, I mean, we joked on set when we were reading this, like, hey, I think we should actually really put a plot twist in them and like, just be like, hey, um, Mike and uh, his best friend, I forget what his name is already, Justin Burning's character, we're actually lovers the whole time because we actually showed up to the party with like the same sweater and like the same pants. So we were like, maybe I slept over and like I took something <laughs> from his closet and that's like literally our coming out of the closet together. And we just helped Hallmark take care of, you know, another area. Maybe they're doing one this year. I don't know. I don't know. Erica. There's probably 12 new ones. This is, a, say, this is a hard flash forward to a question I had, which is, will we get a sequel, perhaps titled Moved by Hanukkah? <laughs> and, you know, at the time, I think we, we were curious about maybe exploring your budding relationship on the West Coast, but I really like where you're taking this. I hey, fully agree. Maybe that's the big plot twist. I go out with Vanessa and, to the West Coast, and it's like, no, I miss Reed. That was his yeah. name. And, um, and yeah, we really explore a lot more things out West. I, I gotta say your scenes together, I felt were electric. Uh, <laughs> I feel like there was something there. I fully do. Uh, it was funny. Uh, I, I endorse it. He was, it was great to work with other people like both. Um, I mean, Vanessa's character, she has a big stage background, but both of the leads have been in, been in lots of, uh, shows and movies and have a full acting career so it was actually really great to feed off of them and their experience and how relaxed they were and and also their approach to like here I'm like looking at the script like man how do I what do I do with this like how and realizing like that was the same for everyone it's like okay these movies are cheesy cardboard cutter similar plot lines people love them that's why they keep making them mm -hmm. but then it's like what how do we try and bring something that feels like real and authentic somehow to this and anyways it was uh it was good to experience that i would just comment you did not stand out as like a lesser caliber actor in fact a, well, like a you. decent part of the way through i i think i said you were by far my favorite character oh, in this thank film you. um oh, thanks yeah <laughs> thank you i was biased erica was not so no that, that's an authentic take yeah so oh, uh you. recruiters out there you have got some serious potential over here in Josh Cassidy. Oh, thank Absolutely. you. Thank you. I'd love now, to do I, something else again. I do have a bone to pick with you, though. Go for so, it. So throughout the film, your character seems to have this, like, object fixation. Uh, in almost <laughs> every scene, you are holding something, whether it's, like, a coffee that. cup or a champagne glass or a pen uh, or a yeah. watch. Your hands are always occupied interesting what's the backstory on mike's like need to have his hands occupied well really my hands were actually separately contracted they are their own actors <laughs> so right they have their, in their writer roles, their own contracts like he's playing the writer he's playing the champagne glass holder you know and so they right. had their own things that they had to do one of them had to have a makeover because the one is tattooed so my wonderful makeup artist did an amazing job covering it up so, you know, maybe that's not equal representation, you know, maybe there's something that, you know, isn't fully, uh, you know, exposed in its authentic nature there, but you know what, there's a role to play. My hands were down, they signed the line and they did their job. Yeah, I was trying to think back into our past if, um, if you often had things in your hands uh, as we were friends. <laughs> no. And I mean, I feel like script... you have an average, you're an average thing in hand person, yeah, I would say. I think i'm over the top i it's like the marker like i'm drawing on the board so i've got to have it the mug i'm taste testing so hey i have to be interacting you know um the champagne glass just got shoved to me like hold this you're drinking champagne it's a party but you know what maybe it's just that my hands were such great actors it was like you're just drawn to them like oh my god mm -hmm. th those are their own roles happening on this film so you know what i'd like to see what roles they have in the future and it's true yeah yeah you can't question the artist right no the artist right. just knows what to do so yeah yeah <laughs> um 
You mentioned uh, sampling drinks, and and it, correct me if I'm wrong, but was this from the 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 scene with barista Vanessa, mm -hmm. and that the, there was a bit of a, a remarkable moment there, or a memorable moment there. The the conversation takes a little bit of a detour. Right, I know what you're talking about. Maybe a little travel thrown in for good measure. I haven't had the chance for that yet, but I mean, I'd love to. I started working when I was 16. I joined the army young too. But you got to travel a lot? <laughs> Not as much as I would have liked. I, uh, I was quartermaster in Afghanistan and I uh, went out on a supply run. An RPG overturned my transport and uh, crushed my L4. So travel plans were postponed. I came home to Windale and a year later met Reed at the VA and like so many, we needed a do-over. <laughs> Let's get to the good stuff. Yuletide first, right? I'm sharing Jeff's observation here. Yeah. That the, your character comes a little bit out of left field with this disability origin story. Yes. So can you can you tell us, like, was that intended? Was that something that you asked for or had questions about? It was in the script. That was a part that was changed a bit because I had, like, the disability part. The other line part was changed in there, and I don't remember what it was off the top of my head. Um, but I had a lot of conversations with the director, uh, Philip, who was just awesome. And, you know, it was like, okay, this is Mike's kind of moment. He tells his story, and it's obviously like it feels shoved in, but it actually, if it's held weight, you know, then it can be an emotional, you know, hook or whatever, like, to give him some depth into understanding who he is a bit. Okay. Obviously it's like a bit forced and like all of a sudden out of the background, but it's about traveling and okay. He also closes it with sort of like, I'm getting sidetracked here. So on one hand, it was sort of like, okay, he just got sidetracked going off into a story. On the other hand, um, that's totally what it was, was how do we put this in here to give some weight? So, I mean, it was, you know what, I didn't have a big problem with it. It was, it was fun and it was because it was challenging because in this one, like all of a sudden line for line, and then I got a monologue with this little story and you go through like all in one, like take one sentence is happy. Then it's like expressing like, you know, like good memories. And then it's like, I lost my legs, but Hey, everything is okay. And it's like this sort of like, wave that I had to try and and I think what was on there wasn't anything left on the cutting room floor but the take I like to take much better and I remember that I finished a full take and they said cut and then like everyone who was on set kind of applauded it so I know I did a good job with it because it was like taking on this whole thing but um yeah I also didn't want it to just end like oh never mind that too I kind of wish that it could have gone on longer, but you know what, that's what a supporting character is, is it's like, you know, try and inject a little something, but it's not really about you too. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. Contrary to the reviewer's desire. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they, did I did, do I one, did. they did do one Hallmark last year. I can't remember her name. Maybe, you know, her, she was like, she won an Emmy for Allie. Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you see that one? Cause I never saw it. Uh, I have not. I wanted to come to your film as a purist. Uh, so I actually am never going to watch another Hallmark movie ever again. Um, because uh, uh, not because they're bad, but because I'm a Josh Cassidy purist. So Hallmark, if you want my money, you need more Josh Cassidy. I mean, that's the deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 The Josh verse. Yeah. In Hallmark world. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, you know, Leonard Davis talks a lot about how, um, you know, as soon as disability is in the film, there's this like mandatory explanation of it, like that mm. disability can't just exist, it has to be grounded, it has to be situated, and that mm -hmm. tends to come in these sort of origin stories. Mm -hmm. um, and so obviously your character gets an origin story, but we don't really get an origin story from Reed. Like, yeah. was it like the only way that we know that Reed is a soldier uh, is because he uses like soldier talk at the end yeah. of sentences sometimes. Well, um, like I'm yeah. supposed to be, yeah, though, like those feel forced to me. These little like soldier talk, like four sins. And I'm like, 
I grew up in the military and I know people in the military and like, there's some things that are naturally like a part of it. And there are other things that feel kind of forced, but like agreed there is backstory with him, but you're trying to work it out through the whole film and piece it together. Cause as a supporting actor to him and his best friend, like I'm trying to piece together, Oh, this line. So this means he had, you know, a past relationship and, Oh, he left the military at this stage. So it's like, after it, you kind of piece together who he is, um rather yeah, it's than a slower just burn. flat out getting it right <laughs> yeah yeah it's a much slower burn yeah but i wanted to yeah i mean i mean yeah what was your uh what was your feeling on it though like well, on we, me we had a we had a definitely i think we we had the experience we, we watched the films together and mm-hmm. um we definitely had the experience of trying to trying to piece together the backstory um of that character and we had a theory running for a while that there was a plot coming with him having PTSD mm-hmm. and because we, we in against the the backdrop of these like hyper gender roles mm-hmm. he was showing a little more yeah. emotionality than might have been expected yeah yeah and so we were we thought maybe that's where that was going to foreshadow and, and you know maybe that was there maybe I don't know if you can I mean I th- I feel like it was but at the same time like that's probably why they fell flat too. Like, oh no, you know, Justin's this, you know, perfectly chiseled, good looking guy. But I mean, that would have made it more interesting if they actually side plotted a little bit to more like, yeah, PTSD. Cause that's what he was trying to show and put through a little bit, obviously from these little ticks and, you know, attitude and all of that. Right. That's the feature Hollywood film though. Right. Like that, that busts out, right. out of the, out of the Hallmark universe. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's too far. And also, also why the brush off at the end of my story like yeah uh you know my back got crushed but anyways back to our christmas story <laughs> you know <laughs> this is emotional yeah. but don't get too emotional yet we got it <laughs> it was it was a really yeah i felt like i was like whoa like things just got like hyper serious for a split second um and then was like and back on with the program yeah um and i'm like i get it i know this is supposed to be a movie about love uh and and romance um and like kind of soft core in some ways uh, of this like titillating dialogue back and forth right uh i agreed it was yeah yeah. it was kind of yeah it was rushed with yeah he just try and do what you can with it and i got i mean maybe it's also just in our position because i did get um messages from other people that that like were like oh this part was that was so good or that was like really convincing and whatever whatever so um yeah i know that we're probably so much more hyper aware of it too in our positions (laughs) absolutely yeah Yeah. absolutely i mean the moral of the story is if you're on a date and the partner brings up travel your best bet is to follow it up with about how on the last time you were traveling, your spine was crushed after an IED attack. Love is in the air. Now I gotta know, was this, was your character always intended to be a wheelchair user or did you yeah. get the role and they were like, Oh, wheelchair. No, user. no, I was always, always intended. Always intended. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I mean, what I appreciated about like the director too was like, he's like, telling me about one of his friends who who um also uses a wheelchair and, and was like describing him and who he is a mindset and all of that kind of stuff and it was one of the early discussions that we had i'm like how recent did mike get paralyzed because that changes how i would portray the character as well like is he still working through this is he whatever and he's like no no this is done with he's dealt with it he's happy he's good like what you kind of brought just naturally in our first talk interview before even reading the script is like the type of energy and mindset that I want to give this character. So, you know, it wasn't too much diving crazy. It was more just like accentuating certain things from myself to try and bring to then. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, you know, like conversations like that, like I appreciate it because that changes totally, you know, uh, a character's perception or how they're portrayed. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Fry's test. No. So mm-hmm. uh, Jeff, Jeff most likely is, but like for for uh, for Josh for the audience. So and and Jeff, correct me if I've got this wrong, but as I understand, the Fry's test is testing essentially the the quality of a disability representation in media. 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it, it's based on, uh, I believe it's based on a gender test that yeah, the Bechdel that, test Bechdel test okay which I, the questions are basically like does the work have in the gender test it's like does the work have at least two women in it do they talk to each other and if they talk to each other do they talk about something other than other than a man right 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 and so the fries test which i presume is named for kenny fries kenny fries yeah, yeah asks does the work have more than one disabled character do the disabled characters have their own narrative purpose other than like the profit of a non-disabled character and is the character's disability not eradicated by curing or killing and this and is this why the movie passes yeah it does that's where i was going with the ptsd trope was that i think it's implied enough that um that reed has ptsd that we could say that we have two disabled characters who are interacting who have their own narrative purpose and mm. neither of them is cured or killed right yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. absolutely yeah i honestly like i said like from the very beginning hat tip to hallmark i think on yeah. this text like i mean say what you will about christmas movies but i think this was a really progressive film uh when it comes to disability representation not where i thought i would find it but here we are yeah, no, it's great. It's great as as especially, you know, um, you know, a company like that that does so many movies and has so much pull. So and, you know, is so mainstream. Uh, like I didn't even realize how much it was playing in other countries until this year when it, it came out. So um, it's great. And I hope that they're uh, there. I know they make another dozen or two dozen this year. So I hope they're doing more that are uh, continuing that trend and with uh with other minorities as well. I think you've already spoken to this a bit, but just to name the question and hear an answer, do you think, what do you think this film got right? Mm. Okay. Well, uh, on the production side, you know, everyone was just fantastic. You know, um, they did their best to uh, accommodate whether it was, you know, putting in ramps or figuring things out. Um, for accessibility and where there wasn't they just constantly were like if you need anything let us know if we're doing something wrong like or you need something better or different let us know Um, and then you know the amendments with the script you know they took my feedback they 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 amended that to to keep accuracy and um, I can't remember what the other point was sensitivity so you know what it was it was a great experience from that perspective and then, um, and then, yeah, from the film, I mean, I don't know, people love it. It's a, it's your typical Hallmark Christmas light, you know, I mean, that's what it is. That's, that's what it's supposed to be. That's why people watch them so much. We're in a time where there's so much stress and so many weird, crazy, horrible things going on. And, uh, you know, people turn this on to just have something that's a feel good, uh, a feel good movie. So, um, you know, they obviously got that right and had a, had some good emotional little little hooks and, and things that made it a cute little story. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, uh, it was a good experience and, uh, yeah, great to have that opportunity to be a part of. What, what would you say is something that you would hope that other productions could learn uh, from this film? Uh, were there any innovations in the way that you filmed it using the wheelchair or uh, things that you learned in the productive process that you're like, yeah, I hope that filmmakers actually carry this forward. You know, the same parallels to like my childhood and, and school and, you know, gym class with teachers that got it right as they did with this work experience. You know, it's it's basically just people asking questions. What do you need? Like and being receptive and listening and just trying to do whatever is possible to make um, things accessible and just, you know, feel normal and smooth without, um, yeah, any, any barriers. So, you know, taking the initiative on the first part is appreciated, even if it's gotten wrong, if there's, you know, (laughs) if there's an intention and effort, like that's always appreciated and it's, it's being receptive and checking in um often they check in more than enough with me with with things and uh you know it definitely makes you feel comfortable you never have to really worry about anything and that's that's what's fantastic some of the harder things are what's in advance like 
you know, a set's approved and they haven't quite thought out, oh, Jesus is on the third flight of stairs. And, you know, we had to overcome something like that. But, you know, you also realize a position too, and things are going to be missed because it's not all about the supporting character per se either. So when it comes up and it's realized, you know, what action do you take and, and how do you adapt and, and try to amend it? So as long as that's, you know, the approach, um, you know, I don't think you can ever go wrong or be at really any fault. And maybe lastly, um, thinking back on some of your experiences in this um, move from um, from athletics towards uh, the big screen, uh, do you have any advice for young disabled actors who are maybe trying to break into that industry? Jeez, I don't know. I just, I don't really actively pursue too much. Like I see casting calls, things come my way. I respond to them. Obviously, all these things about accessibility, I don't need to go over again, you know, just voice if you need something. I, I think the general the general narrative for actors with disabilities is, is, you know, how they're represented and speaking up if there's something that you feel um, is better changed. And otherwise, it's, you know, just doing what you do. You don't have to do anything different, just making sure that, you know, you're being true to yourself or the role that you feel you should play. And I mean, I, hopefully I would just like to, like I said, you know, see more where, you know, that obviously there's going to be a lot of stories. I want to see stories more too, where there's, you know, people that go through some challenge or, you know, injury or disability with the hook. And that doesn't just have to be a full lifetime thing. That could be like a sports injury. Like those are stories about, you know, overcoming adversity and resiliency, but, you know, my life day to day, every day, isn't constantly some of those major hurdles and challenges at this stage either like I just want to go have fun and play a role with the character depth that's you know obviously formed that it's based from some experience but there's a lot more layers and, and a lot more things to be explored where you know it, I'm looking forward to the day where yeah we, we see some people in roles where doesn't actually have to be anything about their disability that needs to even be talked about because there's enough other depth there that's that's brought to the character story yeah i think that's that's so true but unfortunately on this podcast you are not <laughs> going to find those movies <laughs> that is not what we are in the business of my friend yeah <laughs> we're here for the filth yeah the filth yeah i'm sorry i didn't have too much uh dirt to dish i mean you know the hiccups that happened were you know were so minor and, and so I'm you know grateful for my, for my experience and the people I was with but it's obviously things like this podcast which helps bring light to it and which have brought light to these things which made my experience better and there's still a lot more out there where I hear of other experiences so that are, are not the same so um, great to bring awareness for sure yeah yeah shout out shout out to Hallmark we're gonna carry your water I might actually watch another Hallmark Christmas movie in your honor. I am waiting for the Hallmark Hanukkah. Yes. Yeah, I will gladly watch a Hanukkah movie. Yeah. Let's do it, Hallmark. Good luck Let's with that. that. I mean, why, why Hallmark? Why are you allowing Adam Sandler to own this niche? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> and thus concludes the first half of season one of Invalid Culture. I hope you have been enjoying your time with us. We have certainly enjoyed watching and talking about some horrible films. If you like us and you wanna give us a little Christmas present, why don't you head on down, give us a little like or a comment on Apple Music or wherever it is you get your podcasts. But perhaps most importantly, a heartfelt and legitimate happy holidays, best of luck, and just a moment of peace and quiet to all of you over the winter break. We will see you all back in the new year, January, with another great episode of Invalid Culture. Take care, and we will talk to you soon.